This is the Becoming Men podcast. Gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Becoming Men podcast. Not just any other episode. This is episode 049. We are on the eve of hitting such a great milestone, episode 50 of this podcast. Gents, this is the podcast for men on their masculine journey. That's you. That's your friends. That's like your brothers. So you need to be sharing this podcast with them. I want to say thank you right now. For the guys that have been donating to this nonprofit month after month, have been faithfully providing and giving of their resources so freely and again, so faithfully. Thank you. And for you guys that are considering, that are on the fence, I'm going to invite you to partner with us and become part of this movement that is out there to change the lives of men so that men would change their families, that their families would change their communities, their communities, their regions, their regions, their states, and their state, the country. Guys, that's how it happens. And speaking of the country, if you're listening to this during the week of release or maybe the week after, you're probably catching wind of this Lil Nas X business going on all over social media. And if you're not, just want to fill you in, give you a little bit of details and and some things uh, that I think about it. It's crazy that um, this rapper Lil Nas X has came out with his exclusive um, Satan shoe. There's 666 pairs. He's trying to, you know, sell it with the open and blatant invitation to Satanism for the, you know, whoever wants to get it, you know, making Satanism, Satanism or this uh, Satan worshiping thing an exclusive uh, product. Now, the entire thing has kind of flipped on its head, though, because as he's out here kind of, you know, pitching this thing and pitching his brand new music video, which, by the way, he's literally like twerking and lap dancing on Satan and then whatever. Hey, you don't need to watch it though. Now Nike is coming out and suing him for the loss of goodwill that happened because of the negative connotation from those creator, the creators of the shoe. They took the Air Max 97s and just kind of threw all of this design, this Bible verse, put it in a box that has like Satanist designs all over it and and, uh, just said, hey, yeah, here's this Satan shoe and Nike's on board when really they weren't. So now we're going to see how interesting this gets. And I, I think it's so funny because when Satan starts to show his hands so openly, when you start to see that he's like really, really coming out it's it's a desperate attempt and the other thing that's funny is if you actually take a look at the verse that he's like putting out there right like these shoes are gonna cost one thousand or did cost because they were apparently sold out a thousand and eighteen dollars because of luke 10 18 if you even notice in in the context of what that says uh you'd kind of get a laugh here's what luke 10 18 says if you don't already know and he said to them I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. That's what he was trying to get from putting that on the shoe. But if you just follow that up with the next verse, you hear this is Jesus speaking. He says, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. I love that. I love that that when it comes to dealing with the enemy, we don't even need to be worrying about the fact that we have crushed him, that he is crushed. Like he's crushed. We are battling a lot of times a defeated enemy who has no power, has no say. And the only say he does have is what we give him in the currency of fear. And it's funny that Jesus is telling us like, yo, don't even rejoice on the fact that like you are crushing this thing. 
that you're not subject to it, but just rejoice that your name is written in heaven and actually you are seated with me in heavenly places. That is your place. That is where you belong. So guys, I hope that uh, you are staying tuned right into what is going on in society and staying aware staying abreast of what is popping up because this is pointing to something and it's pointing to the fact that men need to take charge of their households how so it's so important for us to stay aware stay engaged and be able to pick up and discern what it is that is happening around us and that we would become and continue to be the spiritual warriors that we are and yeah, that means that we are stepping up and praying for our country. That means that we are stepping up and saying no to things like this and so many more things, guys. I mean, we can go on and on about what is going on in our political spheres here in this country, but that is not what we're headed today. Where we are headed, though, is into another awesome interview with a great guest. His name is Jake Friels, and I cannot wait for you guys to hear his story. Like I'm telling you, you are going to be clinging at like the edge of your seat, waiting for the next part of his story to come out of his mouth. And it's it, that's exactly how I was when I first heard it. I can't wait for you guys to hear it. Jake, how's it going, my friend? How's it going? Well, I just want to let my listeners know why it is that you're on this podcast. I was suggested a Zoom call. I tuned in real quick to kind of check it out. I heard your story and I could not turn off the Zoom call. I was running some errands through Lowe's and I was like, man, no way, no way. Every single word I was clinging on to, I wanted to know what was happening next. So I want my listeners, first of all, to know who you are and then to just hear a little bit about your story, man. Absolutely. And uh, that was just such a fun day on that Zoom call as well with uh, the mission movement and uh, all the guys that are gathering together. I've got a wife and four kids and uh, man, love them immensely. Um, I live in Stephenville, Texas. Um, I was born and raised in Texas, always lived here. And uh, I'm just uh, Texas through and through. So uh, do all the fun stuff like roping and rodeo and stuff and football no and yeah do it all so that's um, real that's not just like that's in the a movies? real deal yeah no it's a real <laughs> deal we don't ride our horses to the gas station but uh we we, we definitely um do rope and have fun and do a lot yeah. of the cowboy stuff but um other than that i i love going after the next generation i love raising young men as as i was in my younger ages at nine years old my dad uh, died next to me in a car uh, from a young man committing suicide. And wow. he was driving his car, turned off his headlights and hit us head on. And in that moment, uh, my life changed forever. And um, all of a sudden, I went from a perfect family home. Uh, if you could dream of one, my dad was a dentist and also a pastor. And we had sports going on in our family and we had giant gatherings in our home all the time. It was just an amazing home and environment to grow up in. And then all of a sudden, in one moment, after roping with my dad, stepping out and entering my first uh, rope and team roping on horses uh, together, we then find ourselves in a burning truck. And um, the next thing I know when I open my eyes is I look over and I see my mom, and my dad, they were just laying there next to me. I turn around, look in the back seat and my two older brothers are laying in the back seat. And then I turn back around and the windshield shattered. There's flames coming through and I don't know, but I'm in a burning truck. And the next thing I know, as I turn around and a guy grabs me and picks me up and carries me to the side of the road. But then when you fast forward, when I wake up in the ER room the next morning, after they stitch my face together, put my leg back together uh, after it was broken, 
um, they wheel me into my mom's room and I look at my mom and she's bandaged from head to toe. Uh, she had hit the windshield, uh, with her face and crushed a majority of the bones in her face. Her, her teeth were shoved in her mouth. Her back was broken. Her leg was pinned under the engine. My dad next to her had broke his neck and instantly died. And my brother behind me had split his head in two and was uh, in cardiac arrest behind me. I didn't see any of this. I literally saw them perfect in that truck that day. And the only way I can explain it is I was also told that my body was hanging out the back window or I was rescued out the back window. So I wasn't even sitting where I was sitting when I woke up. And so God took me out of my body and put me back in the truck and showed me a vision in that truck of how he can see us flawless picture perfect in the middle of the chaotic situation in the middle of one of the most traumatic moments of my life. He showed me a picture of his love. He showed me a picture of his goodness. Now at nine years old, I didn't understand that. I had no concept at all. And I just knew what I saw. Well, fast forward from nine to 19, I grow up in a totally different environment, a totally different home. And I began the battle of insecurity, uh, fatherlessness issues, you can name it. Um, Looking for identity, looking for acceptance, looking for performance to validate who I was, Um, running after sports. And, you know, one of the big things is, is, was in my hometown, we were a big football team and uh, we'd won state championships and, and all this stuff. And so, you know, I was, I was dreaming of winning that state championship through high school and, and, and getting accolades and go play college football and, and, and make a name for myself. You know, it was that whole thing. I want to make a name for myself. And uh, fast forward to my senior year, uh, I get uh, injured the fourth game of the season and I'm taken out of the game. We were projected to win state. We were winning an undefeated season. Yeah. And it was like your dream all of a sudden ends as a young man, uh, 18 years old. And I didn't, I didn't know what to do. I got lost. Um, I had run after alcohol. I'd run after uh, women. I'd run after the party scene. I'd run after validation through sports, through accolades. And I'd broke lots of records as I was coming up in lots of different ways. Um, and so none of that validated me. Like none of that made me any better. Um, and it was like, you were always chasing the next thing. And so, um, that, that right after I got hurt, man, I hit the lowest of lows and I got my inheritance from when my dad died. So I went and bought houses and started remodeling houses and renting them out to college kids. And, um, and I also bought a brand new Ford F-250, you know, tricked out fully, you know, fully loaded what any Texas kid would want, you know, (laughs) wouldn't expect anything else. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and, um, and here I was an 18 year old kid with now money and, and cars and, and stuff like that. And, and started just running down a path that just left me more empty and, uh, it still didn't fulfill me. And I moved out of my house and moved in another house and, and I was living my senior year in my own house and in another house that we, that, uh, that we ended up having some friends move in with. And all of a sudden I look up and I'm like, I, I don't like this life anymore. Like I, I don't, I don't want anything this life has to offer anymore. And uh, and I like that young man. Um, I was driving home from the Fort Worth area, and I had three friends in the back seat of my truck. And I just thought, I just want to hit eighteen wheeler as hard as I can and be done wow. with my life. You know. And why and, didn't you? Uh, 
And this is the deal. I was driving towards the 18 wheeler and all of a sudden I just began to just freeze. And I heard this voice say to me, you don't want to do this. Not like an audible voice. It wasn't like this booming voice that came echoing through the truck. It was just this in my heart. I heard you don't want to do this. And I had to make a choice right there in that moment. It was a split second moment. And I chose to listen to that voice and I grabbed a hold of that steering wheel. And, and it felt like when I chose to like listen, something froze me to where I couldn't move that steering wheel. And in that truck passed by and I found myself very alone, very afraid and not knowing what I was going to do. And nobody would have known. You couldn't have asked anybody around me if I was one of those kids that was suicidal. Not one, not one bit. And, um, and so I said, all right, God, you want something to do with my life? If you know, if you want anything of me, I don't even know. I don't even know if I, I want to, or I don't even know. It was just kind of this real honest conversation with him. And, uh, and then all of a sudden he put all these men in my life when I went to college and young men and friends that love Jesus passionately. And they began to show me a real authentic Jesus. Uh, they began to show me this Jesus that I'd never seen before of these men that were running after this intense passion. And I remember we would have these Bible studies and they would be standing on top of their couches with their hands in the air, just yelling at the top of their lungs. Like this had nothing to do with, you know, show or this had nothing to do with, you know, some hype church service. Like we were in a dorm room or in an apartment complex. And these dudes were going after Jesus. And uh, one guy got up and shared a very similar story to mine. And I said, if that guy can do it, then so can I. And I grabbed a hold of hope that day. And I grabbed a hold of, I, I, can, I can actually live this life and I can go after God. And I began a journey that day, seeking him, reading, putting myself around those guys and, and just going, Lord, whatever you want to do in me, I, I want it. And I went on a mission trip a few months later on the mission trip on the top of a, a, an island in Spain, the Tenerife Islands. Um, God's presence begins to encounter me in a major way. And I begin to feel the tangible presence of God. And it gets heavier and heavier until hours later, I'm sitting at a dinner table, looking across the dinner table. And all I can explain is, it was like a wind of life blew across that table and hit me in the chest. And I took a breath of life that just the weight of the world fell off me. And the weight of the heaviness of everything I carried felt like it just broke. Yeah. And I felt these arms grab me and I heard this voice in my head again say, I love you. And you're my son. And I bawled my eyes out. I was like, this is the greatest thing that life could ever offer. Like I found the secret sauce. I found the thing. I found yeah. the, you know, and, uh, and all I could say is he loved me for hours. And, and I woke up the next morning and I ran, I literally, I ran out the door and I told everybody I saw on the street, in a bar, in a back alley, I didn't care where you were. I said, you have to know the Jesus I know. You have to encounter the God that I encountered. Wow. You have to meet him. You have to know him. And, yeah. uh, and, uh, and I started that journey in 2006. And from that moment on, it's just been, wow. 
That's all I can say is he has taken me and I have seen things that I would have never thought my life would ever see or do. And it's only because of him. It's only because of his grace. It's only because of that. He found me and chased me down because he's a good father. And so, you know, that my heart, my goal, my mission in life is that every young man that I come across would encounter what I've encountered, know what I know. And so I just, I do that and I try and teach them and train them in so many different avenues to encounter what I've encountered. You know what I love uh, about your story is that you didn't point to any time where like, you know, I was just given the directions and I was told exactly what I needed to do. And then I just followed step one, two, and three. Like, no, it was actually the complete opposite. You just came to a moment where you're like, I don't even know. And that's all you could say. He's like, God, like you want to do something. I know I'm aware of it, but I don't even know. And I think a lot of young men listening can relate to that. They can relate to the idea that, okay, God does have something for me or just some kind of movement or tugging that says I'm meant for something greater, but man, I don't even know. And you just said, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Now those men that you said that you, you surrounded yourself with, um, the times that you spent with them, what do you, what would you say about that time now? Like how intentional were you about pursuing them or pursuing relationship with them? Was it just something where you kind of just drug your feet? Tell me about it. No, I'm an all in guy. So um, (laughs) if I choose to say yes to something, you're going to get all of it. And um, I literally bought a house and had them all move in with me. Oh, no way. Oh yeah. I I said, look, listen, I said, you need cheap rent and I've got, I've got the ability to buy a house with my mom. So, uh, we're going to go in and buy a house (laughs) together and you guys are all going to move in with me. And cause I need every ounce of your life. Yeah. Yeah. The greatest way to learn is to be next to somebody daily to not just see them from a platform, not just see them on a, on a meeting or just a face to face, but to try and get in as close as you can to people that you know, love him and you know, are wow. following him. And I'll say that to, to, to today, um, that is the single most important thing a young man can do or man, either one is to have a group of men around them for the rest of their life. We were never made to do this alone and we were never made to live in isolation. And the second we begin to do that, I don't care if you've been walking for 25 years with Jesus and you go off on your own and go into isolation, it never ends good. It's just not a good scenario. And yeah. so this is a lifelong thing that I will live in for the rest of my life. And I have men that either I call, I Zoom, I FaceTime, or I'm in person with them. I mean, I have circles and circles and circles that I intentionally put in my life because I'm not as great as I think I am. Yeah. And I need other men to speak into me. And I need other so that men to one look- encounter. That one encounter wasn't enough. Oh, like that, it, absolutely not. That's that's just no? the icing on the cake. That's just the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> that's only that's like that's like a minuscule of what God can offer, you know? And wow. and and when people paint a picture of the gospel is that, well, just say a prayer and give your life to Jesus and he'll take away your sin and then that's you're good, you know, like go on with life. Guys, let me tell you something. The gospel is that Jesus wants to restore his proximity back to your life. 
He wants to be back inside of you because he created us for relationship. He created us to live together. That's what the garden was all about is going hand in hand with the father. And then when that got broken because of a choice made by Adam and Eve, that he said, I have to send my son to restore back our proximity together. Sin was just an issue that needed to be dealt with, but he wanted to be with us. It says that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's got to be literal if he really wants heaven to come to earth and heavens are all about him. And so when, when he comes back in our proximity, that changes everything about our world. That changes everything about us. And now we get to live into that and grow and learn and develop. And it's limitless. He is absolutely limitless. And so I see it in a way of the more you want, the more you go get. Mm. It's just, there's never going to run out. You're not going to have a day that you go, oh, I think I got all of God I need. Or I think I... I think I figured it all out. I think I've yeah. got him in my box. Um, well, the temptation is for our generation, you know, to be honest with you is, okay, I have a goal or I have an idea of where I want to get to. So go ahead and give me like P90X, which, <laughs> where I can like get this thing in 90 days. And so I think what we tend to do is just want to break down everything into little molecular steps that we can take right now yeah. to get to where we want to fast, by the way, yeah. and then just coast from there. Yeah. But what you're telling me is something completely different is that there's not a place that I'm just getting to or a, a level, certain level of Christianity that I'm going to achieve. And then I'm just like, I'm set for life. Nope. That was never the way it was intentioned. If you do P90X for 90 days and then you quit for 90 days, you will look just like you did 90 days before that's you started. Good. Ooh, that's good. Right? Yeah. P90X yeah. is supposed to become a lifestyle that you live if you want to live the P90X body. Yeah. <laughs> Right. That's a, that's a, that, that takes a P90 price right there. That's a, you know? <laughs> that takes long-term dedication, long-term yeah. goals, long-term life and intentionality. You're exactly right. Yeah. We want popcorn prayers. We yeah. want microwave results when there's things that can only be developed in you over 20 and 30 years. If you look in the Bible, Moses was said he was going to lead an entire generation out of captivity. How many years until he led them out? It was 40 years. He went and spent 40 years in the desert tending his father-in-law's sheep. And then all of a sudden, he gets to go back and lead an entire generation out. And then doesn't even see the, doesn't even see the promised land and spends another endless years in the desert circling the mountain again. So if you look at Moses's life, you'd say he's one of the greatest leaders in the Bible, obviously delivering millions of people across a Red Sea, a supernatural moment. And then they were fed supernaturally by God every single day of their life. You want to talk about a guy leading a revival. He led a revival for years and years and decades. Yeah. But he never saw the promise. So was it a result thing that God was doing for Moses or was it God using a man that he knew his heart was sold out to him because Moses said this, when Moses was on top of the mountain, Moses said, Lord, you said we were going to the promised man, promised land in Ezekiel 33. He says, you said we were going there. And, and, uh, not Ezekiel, uh, Exodus in Exodus 33, 32, he said, we're going to the promised land and you're sending us there, but I don't want to go unless your presence goes with us. How would anybody know we're any different? 
And what he was saying is, no matter what we've accomplished, he could have said, oh, we could walk into the new land and go, guess what? We're the guys that split the Red Sea. Guess what? We're the guys that were fed daily every single day supernaturally. We hit our stabs on rocks and it literally made water come out of the ground. That's who we are. Check out our accolades. Check out how good we are. Bow down to us now when we get into your land. No, they said, he said, if your presence, if you don't go with us, we're like nobody else. We're just like the rest of the world. And he said, but if you go, then we will go. And that's, that's my desire. That's my yeah. heart is that, man, I want to go where he's going. I want to be where he is because that's what's going to change the trajectory of my life, men's life around me, young men's life around me, is that when they get that concept and they realize that he is all that everything is about, every day of our life that we get to love him and draw near to him. And he draw nears to us and he speaks to us and leads us and guides us. Our lives will do a trajectory that we've never seen before. And, and he can do things in a moment that took us years to figure out. And, yeah. and so I, that's, that's my heart's desire the most. And so, you know, when I, I look that. at, when I look at the future of, of where we're going, and the future of, of men and young men is we've got to learn how to fight long-term. We got to learn how to war long-term. Um, and we, you know, we have to, we have to learn how to sharpen our swords. You know, when yeah. you think about a warrior back in the day, they had swords that they fought with. And if you just sit there and just ching, 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 and, and dole it, then it's, then it's not useful anymore. And it's not sharp and it's, and it's a lot harder to do life. But yeah. it says as iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens another. And so when we get together and I begin to call you into your destiny, you begin to call me into my destiny and you begin to speak the life that you see over my life. And I begin to speak it over you. Then all of a sudden it's, it's sharpening and sharpening and sharpening yeah. and sharpening. And then you do the same thing with the father. God, what do you see in me? What do you want to do in me? Where are you taking me? And he's like, here, son, shing, shing, shing. and just sharpens yeah. us. And then all of a sudden we just, we look up and we take off into the next, next moment, the next day, the next year, whatever it is. And he's right there in the middle of it. And that changes everything. I think where we get in trouble then is when we take that blade where it's not sharpened and it's not there yet, you know, and, and to even, you know, to form, you have to leave it on there long enough to get hot, to even be able to bend the metal. Yeah. And I think sometimes you know, we just kind of, we dip out early, you know, they're like, uh, I don't know about that. You're kind of calling out something that I'm really comfortable with. And I actually like the occasional pornography video. So sure. I think I'm just going to dip out of that, you know, or yeah. mm, I, I actually enjoy my pride. Uh, so I don't, I don't really think that this is for me. Yeah. Um, so we don't actually stick around long enough to get, to let it heat up. And then maybe what I'm also thinking about while you said, uh, while you explained that is that we end up getting around other iron, right? Yeah. Iron sharpens iron. Yeah. But what I think we miss is that if you put a bunch of iron together and just kind of leave it sitting, it all just starts to rust. The rust. You know what I'm saying? Like without friction, without an actual action and people rubbing each other, I will say against the grain. Yeah. All you're doing is just collecting rust. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I see, I see young men getting in a lot of trouble with that. Have you? Yeah. I think we all do. Honestly, I think when we get idle and we get, um, isolated, there is no friction. Um, and we begin to get rusty and we begin to sit on, 
the sideline. Um, or here's the other side. I want to do something great with my life. I want to go somewhere great. I believe that I could do greatness and you have no path to get there whatsoever. Yeah. And you're gripped by fear. You're gripped mm. by, I don't know the next step. I don't know what mm. to do. Yeah. Well, that's when, that's when walking with another man in life, walking with an older man or whatever it is, somebody older than you that goes, Hey, here's the way I did it. Or here's what I think your next steps could be. Why don't you ask the Lord? Yeah. And that in and of itself is what the fatherless generation is missing the most is we, we get it. I get it. Millennials, Gen Z, I'm a millennial, Gen Z. We want to see the world different. We want to see a greater reality of something different. We want to see something beyond ourselves, but we're so timid and afraid of moving forward and collecting rust really is what's happening in ways because we're captured by fear of failure. Mm. And we think that if we fail, it defines us. Yeah. When that's not yeah. true at all. Failure never defines anybody. Failure just gives you an opportunity to, to learn and to grow and to move forward. Everyone's going to fail in life. We will fail at some level, no matter what it is. And so we must begin to embrace that in the failure, we have to look up. In the failure, we have to begin to go, how do I not do that again? How do I press forward and begin to grow and not be gripped by fear to then go, well, then I'm not going to take a step ever again because I failed. And then your life is literally stopped in a moment and gripped by fear again. And the Bible yeah. says very clearly, it says perfect love drives out fear. And it says that God is love. So how do we defeat fear? Well, we draw near to him. How do we defeat fear? We draw near to each other. That, that gives us the courage to press on. That gives us the courage to move forward. You yeah. know, and, and it's in a similar in battle situations, which, which you're way more familiar with. And that is that when you're with a band of brothers, it's like something overcomes you to begin to defeat an objective that only could be defeated when you're together. Yeah. There's something you gain from each other. That you got a man, yep, you got a man behind you, you got a man beside you, and you're going together. And there is strength in numbers. And that's the only way I see us moving forward in this next generation is we got to learn to draw near and we got to learn to draw near to him. Yeah. And it actually reminds me of what you brought up earlier about Moses being there on the mountain talking to God and saying, No, God, if you're not in it, I don't want a part in it. And I think, you know, if you look at an athlete, who's given a God-given talent without the spirit, he still has that talent, but how he, how he uses it and for what purpose changes if God is in it or, or whoever is in it, right? It's the same thing with people who like are spiritual and you know, that you can be spiritual and then get under the enemy's influence. And now you're, you're reading cards. You're a tarot, you're a tarot card reader, right? Or you could use that on the side of the spirit. And actually you're just really prophetic. Sure. Um, and so, no, I'm, I'm seeing the same thing time back here where like, when we invite God into the failure, when God is right there in it, the whole thing is repurposed. Like, God, I don't want any part of this unless you're in it, because guess what? At the end of it, when I do have that failure and God is not in it, the thing that follows is a big fat word that rhymes with aim and starts with S. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It right, is. Like, what, what's the first? What's the first thing that Adam and Eve felt in the garden? Mm, that shame. shame. Mm -hmm. He says, "Where are you? Did God know where they were? Of course, He did. He was. De he was deliberately talking to the shame. Yeah. Right. He was. Yeah. He was talking to their response. 
He was talking to what was going on inside of them. They're hiding themselves with fig leaves. Fig leaves are itchy. Have you ever been around a fig tree? Yikes, like, that's no, the worst. I didn't even think that's about the that. Worst, <laughs> that's the worst thing to be covering up. You know, if you're naked outside in the woods, you don't yeah. use fig leaves, you know? And Gosh. he's just he's just like, hey, guys, uh, what's going on, man? You know, I have so much for you. And, and, and what about, let's think about this. What about the prodigal son, right? Said he came, he came home and his, and his head was hanging because he was so full of shame. He said, only if I could become like one of my father's servants. Yeah. Shame. But what does it say the father does in the story? It says that he was looking for him. Yeah. He was watching in anticipation for the day that his son returned. And the day that that son crossed to the top of that hill, it says he that ran. he ran. Mm. And he runs to embrace us in the middle of our junk, in the middle of our shame, in the middle of the moments that we feel like we don't matter. We're not worth it. Our, our lives are going to do nothing. And he comes and he says he embraces us and he holds us. And he says, I'm so glad you're home. I'm so glad you're here. Not only that, hey, here's my signet ring that means and all the of whole authority. Time the sun and the whole time the son is like, but I'm too shameful, right? He's still trying right. to convince himself that, uh, but I'm too ashamed. But father, I, I did this. And, this, and the dad is like, go ahead, keep going. Yeah. And, he, and, and the father uh, affirms him in multiple ways. He says, yeah. nope, here's my authority. Actually, nope, here's my provision. Here's my robe. Oh, Ooh. by the way, here's new sandals on your feet. Provision for where you're going ahead of you. Hey, by the way, let's do a party. Let's kill a fattened calf. Let's bring it all in. You're home. That a boy. Let's go. Yeah. You know, it yeah. game on. Yeah. You know, son's and the whole back time, home. The son's like, but dad, I, I, I don't think you understand. I, 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 I. And he's like, yes, but I, son. But it's I, exactly right? right. And you see what happens in the story is, is that the older brother in the middle of all this, what does it say? He says he becomes angry mm. because he looks across the way and he caught in. And, and this is when, this is when pride, this is when comparison, this is when uh, just all this stuff starts hitting the table. Cause now all of a sudden he goes, wait a second, I've never had a party. Matter of fact, that's my fattened calf. He went and slept with prostitutes. Why in the world would he get what's mine? And it's this self-righteous this indignation of anger that doesn't come from the Lord. It comes from selfishness and pride. And all of a sudden there's a division that begins and he's angry because he doesn't understand the heart of the father. Yeah. He doesn't understand what this is all about. And all of a sudden the father graciously approaches him and says, son, don't you understand? I'm right here. All this is about me and you, not about everything you have but about me and you've been with me this whole time. And so I love to change the story to the prodigal father because prodigal means to lavish, to freely yes. give it away. And, yes. and it's just this, <laughs> this is an epic story in the Bible of how God demonstrates his love for us as a father in two amazing ways. Cause we're in either camp. You've either run and you've done the worst of the worst, or you've been right next to God this entire time. Maybe you grew up doing great things and whatever it is. And God looks at us and goes and, and says to each one of us, look, it's always about me. And let's yeah. remember that. So Corey Asbury uh, actually discusses his, the background on the song Reckless Love. And he, he says in a video, he's, he's talking about the father. And I love that you said the prodigal father, because he's, he explains like God is so utterly unconcerned with the consequences of his actions, because he's just like, I don't care. I'm going to lavish. 
And the thing is, is that he's putting out in a way where he can be rejected and yet his love just like continues. And it's like, and we do, I mean, we do this. It, it's actually, man, I'm just getting hit by it now, but like, God is just like, will you accept me? And he continues to put out, he continues, and no wonder he's a jealous God, right? Like he continues and continues and keeps going. And it's not uh, because we deserve it. It's not because we done did good, but just because he is a it's good because, God. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. And I think when we begin to settle our hearts that number one, he's not mad at us. He's not mm. waiting to chase us down and, and, you know, whatever that son thought, that son probably thought he was going to get beat, man. I thought, you know, who, what, no, no, like, what is he going to do? Why is he running at me? You know, like, <laughs> I bet his, I bet his mind, he was freaking out. Like, my dad's yeah, like, fixing this a, is not good. My dad's fixing to, you know, do something I don't want, I don't want to be a part of, you know, or whatever. I mean, just put some context to it. Like, he wasn't wearing Nikes, guys. Like, he wasn't wearing Converse. All those, those things are ancient. Like this man was wearing sandals. Have you ever tried to run in sandals? Like he picks up the, you know, he's wearing that his robe, right? So he's picking it up. He's holding it to his side and he's running towards his son. Keep going, yeah. man. Yeah. So, you know, I just, I think we just have to understand our perception of God as a father is much different than we think. And mm-hmm. it says that he is a father to the fatherless he is near to the brokenhearted. And it says that he wants to take care of the orphan and the widow. And that's pure and undefiled religion. James 1 27. I mean, this is his heart. Like his heart is after young men and young women and that are fatherless specifically. And so there's 25 million fatherless kids in America. Wow. So if you're listening to this call and you're going, you know what? I think I'm, I, I think I'm fatherless because my dad's home, but he's not present. Like I have no relationship with him. That's a, that's an aspect of fatherlessness. Yeah. Yeah. Your dad could be incarcerated. That's an aspect of fatherlessness or your dad could be dead, you know, and he's not alive anymore. And that's another aspect of it. And so there's, 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 there's three different ways that you could experience fatherlessness in our world today. And you know, I want, I want you to know, you know, if you're listening to this call and, and you do fit one of those categories, know that God is a good father. I know this personally. Like I said, I lost my dad at nine. He is a very good father and he does love you immensely. There's no better way to be loved than by him. And, yeah. and, and there's no better way to find other men that love God, that can love you like God. And love is not a perverted word. Love is, a, is, the, is the literal demonstration of God. It says love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It does not seek its own. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Truth, love never fails. So when you hear the word love and you hear that a man loves you, that's what it means. It has yeah. nothing to do with perversion whatsoever. Yeah. I actually, real quick, I felt like I wanted, uh, I needed to read a post that I made yesterday. I'm kind of putting some things together, even now, as we're talking about this, this is not anything I had planned but I was at the mechanics when I did this. Why that's important is because my, my father, my earthly father was a mechanic. Um, and so I was so not tied with him that I ran away from anything that had to do with cars, right? 
And so here I am having my car aligned since then so much has been restored, but here I am at the mechanics getting my car aligned. And I guess maybe it just brought back so much, but I posted a picture on Instagram yesterday of me behind my son, as I teach him how to shoot a bow context. I am a novice. I have no authority in teaching anybody how to shoot a bow, except for the fact that I am a father and that qualifies me. But here's what I wrote. And I want to, I want to get your thoughts on it as well. If all you see in this picture is a man and a boy standing in front of a target, then you'd be missing it. But then again, you don't have the backstory. You don't know that I am, that I have my maternal great, great grandmother's last name, that I came from a country where the male had to claim the child at his own, as his own to get his last name. And so for more than a hundred years, the De La Nuez last name passed on from mother to child. You might also not know that on my paternal side, I am the first man in more than a hundred years to have children with one woman. Yeah. You would need to know that information to get why my wife took uh, the time to snap this picture from our kitchen. Growing up in a as a fatherless boy, searching for approval and affirmation wherever I could find it. That boy grew into a man's body, but not much had changed inside. At one point, I was physically 20, but emotionally 12. I was so lost in trying to become a self-made man and trying to fill a God-sized hole with women social currency, and military awards. I was one uninitiated man from a bloodline of countless uninitiated men. Brokenness was my inheritance. And then God. And I just paused there for a moment. I'm like, where's this going, Lord? And this is, this is how I finished it. Honestly, I can't tell you why he did it or what for, but he embraced me and claimed me as his own. God showed me that I was a son and that to the father and that he wanted to father me. And so much had been redeemed. So much has been recovered. And there's still so much more that he's doing in my life. But today I'm a novice archer showing my son the little that I do know. My son doesn't care that I miss the target from time to time. That doesn't qualify me to teach him. What qualifies me is a willingness to be there, to love him and continually claim him as my son. That is the kingdom of God. I just wanted, I think it was really appropriate to um, Holy Spirit just bringing that up to share that. And with your story, man, everything that you shared in the beginning and tying this in, like we both have a personal experience with feeling the embrace of God and God saying, I know for the last decade, you have been fatherless, but I am your father and I want to father you. And I think so so many men that just could relate to what you were saying before that maybe your father's in prison, maybe he's around, but he's just not in the home. Maybe he is in the home, but he's emotionally absent. They can relate to that and they know I need a father. I want you to go ahead and just speak to those men. Take a couple minutes. Yeah, you need to know that in this moment, that the anxiety, the war that's going on in the inside, the the moment that you think, Am I good enough? You may have a dad, you may have a great relationship with your dad, but you can still have these wars of insecurity. You can still have these doubts of maybe. Do I perform at the level that I need to perform? Do I achieve what I need to achieve to actually feel like my life matters? And I can tell you this, that no matter what you achieve, I literally just got a state ring last night after coaching a, a football team to a state championship victory. Yeah. And it was just in this moment. I mean, that was a dream of mine that I've, I've dreamed of always having a state championship ring. And at 34 years old, I'm holding a state championship ring with my son that, you know, got to be involved in the whole process with me. 
And what was so special about it, man, as I began to talk to those young men, I said, listen, what we won on the football field, I pray that you win in life. The way you fought together to win a championship, the way you dedicated your life to win a championship, I hope you fight for your spouse one day. I hope you fight for your children one day. And I hope you fight for your relationship with God one day the same. Because that's the result that we're all looking for is the continual fight for those things in our life that matter the most. And that's our families. That's our purpose. uh, That's our relationship with God. And I want to tell you today, the fight can begin for you now. If you're sitting here going, yeah, y'all talk about this God stuff. And I don't really know what that's all about. I want to invite you even now in this moment, just look to him. It says the Bible very clearly says, if you just begin to cry out to God and say, God, I need you. Like I did in that truck that day, I'd prayed a prayer before when I was five, but there's something in that truck that day that I began to say, God, I don't know, but all I know is I need you. And he began to orchestrate my life from that point. And so even in this moment, right now where you are, your car, your house, you're sitting at a desk at school, you're listening to podcasts. I don't know where you're at, but just begin to cry out in your heart, God, I need you. And Jesus, I know you paid for my sin. I know you gave me a relationship that I can have with the Father again, and I need that now. And I receive it from you. And Holy Spirit, would you come radically fill my heart? Would you come radically fill me in every way and cover me with your love and cover me with who you are? And I'm going to tell you that there's a party going on in heaven, just like the party for the sun. And there's a party going on that every man that would ever hear this or woman that would ever hear this, that someone chose to say, God, I need you. I'm cheering you on. I know Ray's cheering you on and we believe in you. And for those of you, if you've made this decision before, hey, every day you have an opportunity to wake up and say, God, I need you. Every moment in your life, maybe it's right after the failure, you look up and say, God, I need you. You know, just like when I got that state championship ring last night, I said, God, I need you. Great victories are amazing. Defeats are amazing. Failures are amazing because in all of it, God is the one that makes it amazing. And so trust in him, rely upon him and let him do what only he can do in your life.